Beijing's pandemic-era restrictions returning to China. A look at what's driving the concern. Plus, details on the current outbreak and why some Chinese residents want to flee the country. China made batteries ousted from a U.S. military base. More on why senators say the devices could threaten national security. The final Republicans vying for 2024's nomination, battling for the title of top China hawk. They are not going to let her be tough on China, and she will cave to the donors. Who's fit to take the mantle? And sweeping purge within China's most secretive political system. A report alleging Beijing's newly ousted foreign minister was tortured to death. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Before we continue, as you may know, our channel's been hit by social media censorship. On top of being demonetized for about three years, we've also seen strange issues like viewers subscribing to our channel, then finding they've been unsubscribed. Help support us by sharing our content with friends and family and consider donating. Find us at donorbox.org slash China-in-focus. Your viewership helps make our show possible. Thanks for watching. Now back to today's top story. Will Beijing's COVID-19 lockdown measures return to China? Driving the concerns is the re-emergence of one of the symbols of Beijing's pandemic policy, workers clad in hazmat suits. A video clip circulating online shows them disinfecting school hallways and classrooms. The caption says it was captured in Hebei province in late November. <laughs> These workers are known as Big White in China. Under Beijing's zero-COVID policy, reports reveal that they broke into people's homes by force. Some clips show workers spraying homeowners' bedrooms, valuables and even fridges with disinfectant. Screenshots of video clips show the big white disinfecting schools nationwide. Here, a worker in a hazmat suit sanitizes rooms in a middle school in Shandong province. Over in southern Anhui province, a worker was seen sterilizing a school cafeteria. And in central Henan province, another worker sprayed down classrooms. In Heilongjiang province, still another worker disinfected a school's hallway. The cleaning efforts come as China's pneumonia outbreak gets worse and strains the nation's pediatric hospitals. The information comes from a notice from China's top health body, the National Health Commission. The agency is asking medical institutions nationwide to, quote, try everything they can to provide pediatric services. Authorities are also ordering the institutions not to turn away patients. NTD spoke to a few Chinese residents and doctors about the situation. We distorted their voices to protect their identities. Pediatric hospitals in Beijing are overflowing. Schools also have canceled a lot of activities. A significant number of China's current pneumonia patients are children. But it's facing a shortage of pediatricians, about 200,000 of them. And some patients are becoming desperate. Usually, pneumonia patients go to regular hospitals where Western medicine is used. But for those who haven't seen improvement, some of them are turning to traditional Chinese medicine practitioners, who usually don't treat infectious disease. A traditional Chinese doctor in Shandong province told NTD that he saw almost 200 pneumonia patients over the course of two weeks. This wave of the outbreak has a high infection rate and incidence rate. 
most of the pediatric patients have fevers that last a relatively long time. They turn to us traditional Chinese medicine doctors because they didn't get well through hospital treatment. Almost all of them are pneumonia cases plus other bacterial infections. I can't find mycoplasma pneumonia. It should be COVID-19. In southwestern China, a local doctor said he suspects COVID-19 is behind the infections in his area, but adds there's no way to tell. We've all been infected, but local hospitals don't do COVID tests anymore. You can't get the nucleic acid tests here. Plus, speculations are mounting over a Chinese professor's death last Sunday. Named Chou Yong, he was just 40 years old. The obituary didn't reveal the cause of the death. A social media post circulating online reportedly was published by him, said he had been in the hospital waiting for a bone marrow transplant, possibly due to the aftermath from Chinese-made COVID-19 vaccines. The growing outbreak is sparking fears among some Chinese people. Some residents told NTD they're thinking about fleeing the country. A worker in Guangdong told us about his concerns. During the pandemic, many in his hometown died of COVID-19 infections. At its peak, coffins were in extremely short supply, and people faced long wait times to cremate their loved ones. I think the pandemic is making a comeback. I'm thinking about traveling abroad. I don't want to stay here, and I know many others that are thinking the same. Up north in Inner Mongolia, a resident told NTD that she wants to flee China's authoritarian rule, but says she can't afford to. That's after local authorities try to tear down her neighborhood. The compensation they offered wasn't reasonable and we didn't agree, so residents held banners to protest the demolition. But the demonstration got crushed. Authorities first went after the leaders of the protest. Later, police officers came to my house and threatened to arrest me. She explained she would use her money to send her son abroad first. Over in the U.S., immigration authorities have seen a big jump in the number of illegal Chinese immigrants crossing the border this year. From January to September, Border Patrol arrested over 20,000 Chinese crossers as they arrived. The total almost 13 times more than the same time last year. Though some make the trip to flee poverty and authoritarian rule back home, lawmakers are also concerned Beijing could be sending in spies. Most of the illegal Chinese immigrants are single adults. China-made batteries. Disconnecting China-made batteries from a Marine Corps base. A utility company made the decision after several lawmakers expressed concerns, saying the devices posed a threat to national security. Entities Cost MS has the story. Lawmakers from both parties said the U.S. is at risk of being critically reliant on its top rival China for the supply of the batteries. After it emerged that utility company Duke Energy used the batteries at Camp Lejeune Marine Corps Base in North Carolina. The lawmakers, led by Florida Senator Marco Rubio, added the storage batteries may be subject to cyber vulnerabilities and put energy grids at risk. Rubio wrote to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin last week, asking him to immediately reverse the installation of the batteries. The devices are manufactured by Contemporary Amperex Technology Limited, or CATL, a Chinese company with reported ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Congressman Mike Gallagher, 
told Fox News that companies involved in the CCP's human rights abuses should not be allowed to build critical infrastructure for the U.S. military. Duke Energy issued a statement to Reuters saying the batteries have been disconnected following the concerns but added the system was designed with security in mind and the batteries were not connected in any way to Camp Lejeune's network or other systems. Although the company did not specify when the batteries were disconnected nor how long they'd be offline. In another statement to Reuters, CATL called the accusations false and misleading, adding its energy storage products sold to the U.S. past security reviews and were not equipped with communication interfaces. CATL further announced deals to supply batteries for several commercial energy projects throughout the U.S., including in Texas and Nevada. Deployment of such utility-scale devices is increasing on a rapid scale in the U.S. as sources of renewable energy come online. Much of this technology will likely originate from manufacturers in China, who stand to benefit from U.S. renewable energy tax credits. Cost MNS, NTD News. A proposed rule from the Environmental Protection Agency blocked by a House vote Wednesday. The EPA rule would have effectively ordered that most cars made in the U.S. be fully electric by 2032. Order. Republicans have ruled against the proposed standards. They say the rules are unrealistic and could undermine consumer freedom as well as increase U.S. dependence on China. Almost 90 percent of rare earth minerals used to create electric vehicles come from China. The House vote, which voted to overturn the EV mandate, is unlikely to carry through in the Senate. Democrats hold a majority in the upper chamber. And even if it does pass a Senate vote, President Biden has promised to veto it. Four Republicans seeking the 2024 nomination squaring off over who's fit to take the mantle from former President Trump. And the clash put China ties in the hot seat. Here are the biggest takeaways from Wednesday night's primary debate. Watch. DeSantis dug in on Chinese regime connections, accusing Haley of being the top ranked among governors when it came to bringing the Chinese Communist Party into a state. Her donors, these Wall Street liberal donors, they make money in China. They are not going to let her be tough on China, and she will cave to the donors. She will not stand up for you. First of all, he's mad because those Wall Street donors used to support him, and now they support me. Issues ranging from border security, immigration, foreign affairs, COVID vaccines, and election integrity were also hit on throughout the night, not shy of personal attacks. Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Haley said as UN ambassador, she was hands-on when it comes to China and Taiwan. She said the way to keep the Chinese regime away from them is to let them know there'll be hell to pay by winning the war in Ukraine. The battle over electability will continue, with Trump currently leading most opinion polls by more than 40 percentage points. Ramaswamy is calling for the fifth debate to be held on X. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Unease over doing business with China, extending to the Baltic states. Lithuania's foreign minister says two years after a major run-in, companies in his nation are still concerned about trading with Beijing. In 2021, Lithuania allowed Taiwan to open a de facto embassy on its soil, called a Taiwanese representative office. The Chinese communist regime lashed out over the opening, dumping a trade ban on Lithuania and recalling its ambassador. Beijing claims Taiwan as part of mainland Chinese territory and strongly rebukes any official engagement between the island and foreign countries.
The regime has never ruled Taiwan. Trade relations quickly crumbled after the ban. Chinese imports plunged 99.8 percent in early 2022, spurring the European Union to file a complaint with the World Trade Organization against China. The case has not been resolved. Lithuania's foreign minister has noted that Beijing removed most of its trade restrictions, but called it a huge trust issue on Monday. Quote, nobody can be sure that it cannot be repeated because it's a non-rules-based approach. China still defends its response as legitimate. Beijing continues flexing military might over Taiwan, sending aircraft across the unofficial divide between Taiwan and China on Thursday in a rare nighttime flight. Taiwan is preparing for a presidential and parliamentary elections in January. Next, more top news from Asia-Pacific. We start with a high-stakes meeting in China. As the EU-China summit kicks off in Beijing on Thursday, one leader might be making a quick exit. European Council President Charles Michael will reportedly head home after the first day of meetings. Why? According to a European Union official, the president lacks a secure phone line in Beijing to talk with EU leaders without China listening in. Moving over to Russia, President Vladimir Putin is hinting at an even stronger relationship with the Chinese regime. He said Thursday that Russia is ready to cooperate with China in any area, including military technology. He told an investment conference that Russia has no limitations when it comes to working with China. In the U.S., officials are monitoring reports of Chinese warships docking in Cambodia. At least two Chinese warships have arrived at Cambodia's Rim Naval Base. The Cambodian Defense Minister said the movements are in preparation for Cambodian Navy training. The U.S. urged Cambodia not to allow Chinese access to radar or other surveillance technology at the base. Neighboring countries are concerned the Cambodian base will become a new outpost for China near the disputed South China Sea. And back to China, reports say missing ex-Foreign Minister Qing Gan is dead by either suicide or torture. That's according to Politico, citing two people with access to top Chinese officials. They say Qing died in late July at a military hospital in Beijing. That's around the same time Qing was removed from his ministerial post. In October, China's former defense minister Li Shanfu also got ousted two months after he disappeared from public view. China's opaque political system makes it difficult to uncover information about officials. The Chinese Communist Party's reach stretching beyond its borders. A group of senators is warning about an alarming rise in China's transnational repression around the globe. NTD's Sam Wang brings us more. On Wednesday, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee warned of an alarming rise in transnational repression across the globe and one of the major perpetrators, the Chinese Communist Party. This hearing illustrates the long tentacles of authoritarian regimes like the CCP and that it knows no borders. According to Freedom House, China currently runs the world's most sophisticated and comprehensive transnational repression campaign. Between 2014 and 2021, the nonprofit documented more than 200 physical attacks carried out at the direction of the CCP, far exceeding any other authoritarian regime. And the targets of those actions include ethnic and religious minorities, dissidents, human rights activists, journalists, and many others. It should surprise no one that China is leading the world in using transnational repression to quash any sign of dissent. Just weeks ago, a group of activists were physically assaulted in San Francisco during the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit while protesting human rights violations by Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. Aside from physical attacks, 
the CCP has reportedly engaged in forced rendition of asylum seekers, threatening family members back home, and co-opting foreign officials. Just this year, U.S. authorities arrested two Chinese suspects in connection with a CCP-backed operation against practitioners of Falun Gong, a spiritual group heavily persecuted in China. The two were accused of bribing an IRS agent to revoke the tax-exempt status of a Falun Gong-affiliated organization. There is a dictator's playbook and mechanisms which are used which are effective in transnational repression are inevitably going to be um, spreading and used by others. Witnesses on the panel urge lawmakers to treat China's transnational repression as a high priority. Sam Wang, NTD News. Coming up, China's Pacific push is intensifying. Bribed and spied on, Pacific Islands are facing off with communist agents as they work to stifle dissenting opinions on the region's expansion. The former president of Micronesia is calling to protect his nation's sovereignty. How should Washington respond? And what are Beijing's overarching goals in the region? We sat down with Andrew Thornbrook, national security correspondent for the Epic Times, for details. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. How can Beijing guarantee support from a Pacific Island country in a potential invasion of Taiwan? In the eyes of the Chinese Communist Party, bribery and espionage may be part of the top strategy. Now, a former president is speaking out against communist agents and their efforts to meddle in his nation's sovereignty. How should the U.S. approach the issue? We speak to Andrew Thornbrook, national security correspondent for the Epic Times, for insight. Andrew Thornbrook, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back on the show. Thanks for having me, Tiffany. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's talk about the battle for the Pacific. Now, the president or a former president of Micronesia has been warning about the Chinese Communist Party or CCP bribing him and other officials. Now, you actually have a piece out about this. Tell us about what was happening here. What David Penuelo, uh, the former president uh, of Micronesia, said is that uh, you know, and he, he's a man who, who had long been pretty friendly with the, the Chinese regime, at least publicly. Uh, but he had sent some private letters uh, to his colleagues in the government about the, uh, you know, the pushing behind the scenes from the Chinese Communist Party and them trying to really uh, overstep their boundaries. And when it became public that he had sent these letters, the Chinese regime started sending spies to uh, bribe members of his own government to publicly denounce him. Uh, so it's just one more example of how the Chinese Communist Party is really trying to infiltrate this region uh, and, and create sort of international headlines to give the impression that people who speak out against the regime are somehow being uh, undermined or not accepted. Now, one term that comes up in your article is political warfare. How does that work? Help us understand that. The regime is trying to sway public opinion and the policymakers to such an extent that it can prepare its battlefield in, for the future. The Chinese Communist Party was actively attempting to try to ensure that Micronesia sided with China if it invaded Taiwan, or at least stayed out of the conflict. Or in other words, right, it wouldn't provide assistance to the United States, which is a big deal because Micronesia uh, is a compact nation, meaning we, we have very specific economic and military agreements with them that allow us to uh, maintain our presence in that region. 
On that note, you brought up the compact ones, which are known as COFAR, the Compacts of Free Association, which we do have, as in the U.S., with Micronesia, Palau, and the Marshall Islands. Now, those have been renewed, except that Congress is balking at the price tag of $7 billion. What's at stake here if it doesn't actually get renewed? First of all, I'll start by saying $7 billion is really nothing compared to what we get what this does is it gives us a military presence throughout the entire, connecting all of these nations and their exclusive economic zones, stretching throughout a, a vast swath of the Pacific, which would be vital in any strategic competition, particularly if it came to military conflict. Uh, there's also the other issue here, which is that these uh, nations, through these agreements, are able to contribute to our military uh, and actually Pen Mr. Penuelo was proud to, to say that per capita, right? Uh, per the population, more people in Micronesia actually serve in the United States Armed Forces than per capita in any U.S. state. Expanding on that note, how important are these Pacific Island nations, especially if we do see war break out over Taiwan? Oh, yeah, they'd be absolutely vital. You know, so this is one of the things that we often see when we talk about the first or second island chains, right? These archipelagos that stretch from Japan all the way down to Australia. And, and so the thing we have to understand is the geography of the Pacific would make it very, very difficult for the United States to conduct any sustained military operations without allies and partners uh, like the Free Compact Nations, right? These access to these waters and territories and bases here really allow us to project power when we need to. China houses almost all of its military forces within just hundreds of miles of Taiwan. We would have to project power thousands of miles. And um, these islands really help insulate us and our, our further out territory, say like Guam or states like Hawaii, really helps insulate them and defend them from missile attack as well as, uh, say, expeditionary naval forces. Andrew Thornbrook, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.